is the wisdom of God. And so he's, he's teaching his son the importance of wisdom and the dangers of sin and, and a life of sin to avoid that lifestyle and to follow after the ways of righteousness and the ways of wisdom and the ways of God's Word. And so um, for eight chapters, we've been looking at that, and he's been teaching that. And in chapter 9, he gives the conclusion of these lessons and here in chapter 9, as we will see, he gives a picture of wisdom uh, and folly or sin as hostesses that are serving a meal to guests that come in their home. And we'll see that here. Uh, chapter 9, he talks about wisdom's house. And then in uh, the latter portion of chapter 9, he talks about the foolish woman, the clamorous foolish woman's house. So there's two houses that are, that are mentioned here, that are spoken of here in Proverbs chapter 9. Proverbs 9 is a study in contrast. And so when we look at this chapter, we see that Solomon here presents us with two feasts, two hostesses, two groups of guests, two ways of life, and two results. And we've, we've noticed that throughout, and we've stressed that point that there are only, there are only Two ways tonight. There are there's the way of righteousness, the straight and narrow way, and then there's the the way, the broad way that leads to death and destruction. And Jesus even said that that there's only two ways. Everybody's on one way or the other. Everybody today in the world is feasting at one of these houses. Are the other. So we need to make sure where we're at tonight. And I believe you all are at the right place. Amen. And so uh, so he so there are two results to whatever whatever way we live and whatever road we choose to walk on, there's two results. The result of one is eternal life and living uh, with the Lord throughout eternity. The result of the other is banishment from God and an eternity in hell. So we got it's important the most important decisions that any of us will ever make is what road we travel in life. How many would agree with that? Cuz life is very short. Life is very short. If you live if you live sister Marie's 99 years old, but that's a brief period of time Wow, getting some light. All right. That's a brief period of time compared to eternity, isn't it? James said that our life, life is like a vapor. It's like a mist. It's here for a moment, and then it's gone. But eternity, eternity is forever and ever. So we got to make sure we're on the right road. So in addition to uh, all of wisdom's previously mentioned benefits, he now reveals, Scripture reveals that wisdom's house is the source of life, giving nourishment to those who sit at her table. But in contrast, the feast of sin of the world uh, is full, uh, that, that the world offers is full of poison. And so those who order from the menu of the world and from the house of the, of the foolish one, Woman of the, from the house of sin always choose death. So it's important that we know which way we're going and the choices that we make in life. It's very important that we choose right. God does not make those choices for us. Amen. Now, I know there's some that teach that everything's predestined and that you're either predestined to be saved or lost. God has already determined that, and everybody that God has predestined and chosen and determined to be saved will be saved, and there's nothing they can do about it. And everybody that's chosen and predestined to be lost will be lost, and there's nothing they can do about it. That, ladies and gentlemen, is not true. Amen. God gives us, He gives us the opportunity. Everyone has the opportunity to be saved, to accept Jesus. Nobody has to go to hell. Nobody has to be lost. But the choice belongs to you and I. God told the children of Israel, I set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. 
choose life. He told them what to choose. So we've got to make sure that we choose the right thing. So let's look here in, in chapter 1, in the first 12 verses, wisdom is giving a call. In these first 12 verses, a call of wisdom to her house, to her house. Let's look here. Wisdom, verse 1, wisdom has built her house. She has hewn out her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her meat. She has mixed her wine. She has also furnished her table, and she has sent out her maidens, and she cries out from the highest places of the city. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. As for him who lacks understanding, she says to him, come, eat of my bread, drink of the wine I have mixed, forsake foolishness, and live and go in the way of understanding. Now, in chapter 1, wisdom called to rescue, called to rescue from the highway of hell. And we won't go back into that, but he, he gives the call to those who were, who were following the wrong path that were on that road to hell and calls them out to rescue them. And in, so, in chapter 8, which we studied last week and the week before, in chapter 8, wisdom called to lead people in a rewarding and a joyful and a blessing life. And that's what the gospel of Jesus Christ offers to everyone who will follow that road is a rewarding life, a joyful life, and a blessed life. I didn't say that it would always be an easy life, but no matter what, it's still a joyful, rewarding, and blessed life. And living for Jesus is the best life anybody could live. Not only here, but Thank God there's a, there's a good retirement plan built in. Amen. <laughs> so in chapter 9, Solomon here is again urging his son to dine at wisdom's house, to be nourished at wisdom's table, to be nourished with God's goodness and God's blessing. So what we want to do tonight, I want to look a little bit at this house that wisdom has built. He said that wisdom has built her house. She has hewn out her seven pillars. Notice that. So wisdom has built a house. And from what we see here in verse 1 and verse 2, that wisdom's house is a strong and a spacious house, and that the house that wisdom builds, that, the, that God builds, that the Word of God builds, is a house that's built on a solid foundation. Now, I want to look at this tonight, this ninth chapter, that, that as we look at wisdom's house to compare it to the church. The church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because I believe that wisdom's house speaks of the church. Amen. What else would it be? Amen. But the church of Jesus Christ. The true church of the Lord is wisdom's house that we are a part of tonight where we can come and feast upon the good things of the Lord. And it said that wisdom's house, wisdom has hewed out and built her house on seven pillars. And these seven pillars of wisdom's house are, I believe, significant. There are a lot of different interpretations as to what these seven pillars mean. And some people have said that they refer to the seven churches. Some commentators say that they refer to uh, the seven, um, the sevenfold uh, manifestation of the Holy Spirit that's that's mentioned in Isaiah chapter 11. And, uh, you know, there's seven lamps of fire around the throne of God that are, uh, we read that in, in Revelation 4 last Sunday morning, that are the seven spirits of God, which there are not seven Holy Spirits, okay? There's one Holy Spirit. But the seven lamps of fire around the throne was symbolic of the fullness of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit in all of His fullness and power, seven being God's number of perfection. But these seven pillars of wisdom are significant, and I believe that they speak primarily of two things. Number one, the seven pillars speak of the size of wisdom's house, 
And secondly, they speak of the strength of wisdom's house. The pillar numbers being seven. Now, if you go back and study in the Old Testament, and I've just been reading through First uh, Kings, I'm into Second Kings, but Solomon's temple had two great, huge pillars in the front of that temple that were made of bronze, and they had names. But wisdom's house, and you know how, how enormous, how beautiful, and how huge Solomon's temple was. And there was two pillars in the front of it. Uh, but, but here in Wisdom's house, there are seven pillars. And I think there's, there's, there's a, a, a significance here in the fact that it shows us that the house that Wisdom builds, that God builds, is large and it's spacious, and there's sufficient room for all who accept the call to salvation. Hallelujah. That old song, you know, there's, there's, there's room at the cross for you. How many remembers that old hymn? Though many Millions have come. There's still room for one. There's room at the cross for you. And there's always spacious room uh, in God's house. And I speak of, when I speak of God's house, I speak of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Though millions, billions have come in and been saved, there's room for more. His house is not full. Hallelujah. But he wants it to be. Come on, somebody. Amen. So it does speak of that uh, sufficient room for everyone who will accept the invitation and the call to come to the Lord. No one is ever turned away from the Lord, by the Lord, from salvation. He said, if you come to me, I will in no wise cast you out. I've talked to people before that said, well, I've, been, I've done too many bad things, Pastor Rick. I've been too mean. I've done so much. I, I, I don't believe God will forgive me or God will save me. Let me tell you something. He will not turn anyone away. It is the same church for everybody, for everyone, and there is plenty of room for all. But those seven pillars also speak of the strength of that house. Seven, as we know, is God's number of perfection. It's God's number of completion, of totality. So these seven pillars give us a picture of this house that wisdom built, that it is a, a strong house. It's not a flimsy house that will not stand the tests of, of time and will not withstand storms of life but it is a house that is solidly built. It is well supported, and it is built on a solid foundation. Do you believe that? Can you see how that fits the picture of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ? Let me tell you something. The church is is on a firm, the true church. Now, and you know, let me, let me stress this. There's only one true church. Are you with me? And it's not, you know, it's not the, the Pentecostal Church of God or the Assemblies of God or the Church of God or the Baptist or the Methodists or the Pistol Pack and Palians or the Catholics or anybody else, all right? <laughs> Amen. But, but it's the universal church is is made up the church universal is the church that is made up of every person that has a relationship with Jesus Christ and has been born again by the Spirit of God. It's not a denomination, ladies and gentlemen. When that rapture takes place and that trumpet sounds, the first thing everyone's going to lose is that denominational tag. Amen. You talk to some people, well, you, are you a Christian? Well, I'm a, I'm a Presbyterian. I, don't, I didn't ask that. Or I'm a Methodist. I don't care. Or I'm a, I'm a, a you you know, a Baptist or Assembly of God. That makes no difference. That, that means nothing to the Lord. Does that individual, do they have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? Have they been added to the body of Christ and baptized into Christ through the new birth? 
That is the universal church, the one true church. Amen. Hallelujah. And guess what? There are Baptists in that church, and there are um, Methodists in that church, if they know Jesus. And you know what? There's even some Pentecostals in it. Praise God. If they know Jesus. But this house, this church... It's built on seven pillars. It's solid. It's built solidly. It's not, the church is not going to collapse. The true church. It's on a solid, firm foundation. Glory be to God. I'm about to shout here on Bible study night. Hallelujah. Jesus talked about those two houses. Here we are down to two again. He talked about two houses, didn't he? In Matthew chapter 7, one was built on, a, on the rock and one was built on the sand and the storm came to both of them and one house was wiped out but the other one stood the storm and when the storm was over with, that house that had been built on the rock uh, was still standing. That had a firm foundation. And so this house, speaking of the church, those who dwell in this house, who are part of the church, will be protected and safe through the storms of life and are securely protected from the attacks of the enemy. Let me tell you something. There will be attacks, but if you are in Christ Jesus and a part of His church, His hand is upon you and He will protect you. Wisdom has built her house. Wisdom has hewn out the seven pillars. Wisdom has laid the foundation praise God and Jesus himself said concerning his church upon this rock I will build he wasn't talking about Peter he's talking about himself and the confession that Peter made that he is the Christ the son of the living God and he said upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it and I'm going to tell you the gates of hell and Satan are and they're roaring and the winds are blowing against the church of Jesus Christ today but I want you to know ladies and gentlemen that the church that is founded upon that rock tonight that is that is a part of that is truly wisdom's house is solid and firm and strong and steadfast and the church of Jesus is going through come on amen Hallelujah, this house and those who dwell in this house are, are safe. Praise God. Praise God. Ephesians 2.20, Paul talked about, about the church in, in, uh, in Ephesians 2, 20 through 22. He said, having been built, this is the church, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitly joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of the Spirit of God in the Spirit. This is the purpose of the church. He's founded it upon Jesus Christ, the foundation, the true chief cornerstone on the teaching of the prophets and the apostles of the New Testament. Come on, somebody. Oh, hallelujah. And this church that he is building, that he is planted, hallelujah, it's being fitted together and it's growing into a holy temple of the Lord and the true church is a habitation and a dwelling place for the Spirit of God. Every time we come together, the Spirit of God, hallelujah, inhabits and indwells His church. Amen? Hallelujah. That's the house that wisdom builds. And so wisdom builds her house, builds the church. Jesus Christ, the architect, the builder, the, 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 the chief architect of the church, building that house. And then verse 2 said, wisdom prepares a great feast. Notice, she has slaughtered her meat. She has mixed her wine. She has furnished her table. She has sent out her maidens and cries out from the highest places of the city. Notice the feast. Wisdom spared no effort in uh, or expense to provide an abundant, extravagant, uh, extravagant feast for the guests. 
Now, now, oh, and I'm telling you, this is kind of shouting ground a little bit too, you know, um, because uh, uh, there's a there's a feast that's been prepared, and and the guests, those that come to Wisdom's house, those who have become a part of the Church of Jesus Christ, God has provided abundantly and extravagantly for His church. Can I get an amen? There was a great price paid on the cross of Calvary to, 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 to provide this supper, to provide this feast. Amen? And this is a choice meal that's adequately been furnished for all of the guests that come to the house that wisdom bids us to come to. And I'm telling you, in God's house is only the best. And He totally satisfies. And He supplies all that we need and he is more than enough hallelujah he is hallelujah he is El Shaddai the God who is abundant almighty and more than enough and he's got a table spread where the saints of God are fed and he invites his chosen people come and dine amen Woo! there's a table spread in wisdom's house, David said, you know, in that shepherd's psalm, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. I always love that because even the enemy can't stop you. If you want what Jesus has provided, it's sitting there, and all the devil can do is just stand and watch while you enjoy the benefits and the blessings of, of Calvary. Amen? Oh, listen, this feast that he talks about, it's a feast of celebration. Those who eat at this table always have reason to rejoice. It said that she has slaughtered her meat, she has mixed her wine, she has furnished her table. Of course, the animal sacrifices that's referred to in the Old Testament were all types of the Lord Jesus Christ and Him giving His life on the cross of Calvary. Every animal that was sacrificed was pointing ahead from the Old Testament, was pointing ahead to what Jesus would do at the cross. The wine is a symbol there of the joy of salvation. The furnished table refers to the provision of all things that, the, that, is, that is there in the house of wisdom. So, so there's a house built. There's a meal prepared. Everything, every, and it's, a, it's, a, it's abundant for those who come to wisdom's house. Everything they need is there. Are you with me? But notice verse 3 through 6, then what does wisdom do? When everything is prepared, then the messengers are sent out to make the invitation. Oh, hallelujah. This is where it really gets rubber meets the road. Amen. Notice what he says. She has sent out her maidens. She cries out from the highest places of the city. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. As for him who lacks understanding, she says to him, Come and eat of my bread and drink of the wine I have mixed. Forsake foolishness and live and go in the way of understanding. This is the invitation now. Everything's been prepared. So the invitation is given to those who are outside of wisdom's house to come in. Everything's ready. Come to receive, come to the feast. The invitation was given to come and enjoy this splendid, wonderful meal that has been provided. Amen? That invitation still goes today. Praise God. See, the, and the invitation, and we've touched on this before, but it's so important. It's not offered to just a select few but it was extended to any and all who would like to come to the feast. You know, this, this goes right along with uh, what Jesus said. And I'm going to turn over there and read in Luke chapter 14. Jesus gave a parable of the great supper. And uh, he says this, a certain man gave a great supper. This is Jesus speaking. And he invited many, and he sent his servants. Listen, he sent his servant 
at supper time, praise God, not dinner, but supper, all right? <laughs> he sent his servant at supper time to say to those who were invited, come, for all things are now ready. But they, with all, all with one accord, began to make excuses. Well, we could stop and preach there, but we're just going to move on. The first said to him, oh, I've bought a piece of ground. I must go and see it. And I, I ask that you have me excused. And another said, well, I've bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm going to test them. I ask that you have had me excused. And another said, well, I've married a wife, therefore I can't come. He didn't say, excuse me. He said, I'm getting married. I can't be there. Amen. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. And then the master of the house, being angry, said to the servant, Go out quickly into the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in here the poor and the lame, the maimed, the blind, and uh, the lame and the blind. And the servant said, Master, it's done as you commanded, and there is still room. Oh, hallelujah. Then the master said to the servant, Go out into the highways and the hedges and compel them to come in that my house may be filled. For I say to you that none of those men who were invited uh, shall taste of my supper. So you see the invitation here. Jesus is talking about the same thing. That uh, there's a supper prepared. There's, there's, there's an invitation sent. There's a call going out for, for, for the lost to come. The price has been paid. The table's been prepared and spread. So now the lost need to come in. But what did he say? He said, I'm sending out. He said it here in, 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 this, uh, in this third verse of Proverbs. He sent out, she sent out her maidens. She cries out from the highest place of the city. Whoever's simple, let him turn in here. And for him that lacks understanding, uh, for him uh, says to come. So, so here is the invitation. The Lord is inviting those to come, those who are needy, those who are, 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 are lost, and those who are in the highways and the hedges. This is the gracious offer of grace that is given to all that are lost. This is the most, the greatest word I know in the Bible that came from the lips of the Lord is he says, come. Come unto me. Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden. I'll give you rest. Hallelujah. See, Jesus didn't say, get away. Jesus didn't say, go from me. There's a day he's going to look at people and say, depart from me. But he isn't saying that right now. He's saying, come unto me. The house is open. The banquet room is full. The price has been paid at Calvary. You can have all that God has provided. So come. And it's up to you and me. It's up to us. We're these maidens and these missionaries and these preachers and these evangelists that he's talking about that we are to give the invitation. Praise God, right? Let me calm down. Slow down here. It's, it's a generous offer that he's giving. There's no restrictions. He said they could come. Verse 5, he said, come and eat of my bread and drink of the wine I have mixed. Come and eat. There was no restrictions. It's there. What does the bread and the wine symbolize? Verse 5, come and eat of my bread and drink of my wine that I have mixed. What does, I'll ask it again, what does the bread and the wine symbolize? We do it. We're going to do it here coming up the last Sunday of this month. We're going to have the, the bread and the juice up here symbolizing what? The, the broken body of the Lord Jesus. The shed blood of the Lord Jesus. So the feast, hallelujah. He said, he said here, the bread and the wine are there. Everything is prepared. It's there for you to come and receive what the Lord has. Those who accept the invitation make a decision that results in a major life change. Those who accept the decision. And listen, I, I could talk about this all evening, how important it is. And, and we are all of us, myself included, we are all falling short. Amen. Of taking this invitation out to others all of us are 
We could do more of that. But he sent forth his maidens. He sent forth those to give the invitation. In Luke 14, the parable we read there, Jesus said that, that he sent forth those to bid those to come to the supper. And we've got invite cards out there. They're little business cards. We have some yellow cards as well that are invitation cards that has a little map of the church that you can give to people and just use those as a point of contact. Hey, you know, do you, you know, if you don't if you don't feel comfortable with 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 getting into the gospel with them, at least invite them to to the supper. Amen. And tell them our preacher fixes a a pretty good meal once in a while, and so to come and come and dine with us. Praise God. <laughs> we, amen. Boy, I tell you what, if we was having a regular physical supper, you know, you pack them out. But we've got something better than, than fried chicken and mashed taters and corn on the cob. We got the gospel of Jesus Christ and eternal life. Come on, I'm making y'all hungry now. Making myself hungry. Oh, I gotta move on. Listen. Forsake verse six is where I'm at. Forsake foolishness and live and go in the way of understanding. So here we're talking about this call. And and I, I made this statement. Those who choose to attend the, the feast make a change in their path. They get on the right way, they separate from the wrong way. They, they start, that there's a change in their lifestyle. Do you see that? Those who answer the call to wisdom's house to come and feast at wisdom's table, forsake foolishness and live. Foolishness being the ways of the world and the ways of sin. You got to forsake that. Turn away from that. Get rid of that. Amen? Hallelujah. And uh, there's, there's, there's a word for that. And we'll talk about that maybe in a minute if we get to that. Well, let's just talk about it now. There's a word for that. You know what it is? Don't hear it much anymore, but it's called repentance. Anybody ever been familiar with the word repentance? I don't know. There's churches and preachers that say, well, we don't preach on repentance anymore. Nobody has to repent anymore. Once you get saved, you never have to repent again. That's not true. Repentance means to to make a different, to turn around. Listen, if somebody's living a sinful lifestyle, and, and you know they they need to to uh, if they want to be saved, they want to make him. They've got to repent. They've got to turn from sin and turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. So there's a major change. It's forsaking the foolish ways of the world and following the Lord. So we are his messengers. We are all called to go and take this invitation to those who are out there. Acts 1 and 8 said that, that when Jesus said, When the Holy Ghost has come upon you, receive power to do what? To be witnesses unto me. Amen. To be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. The Holy Ghost power, the main thing, yes, is to empower you to live for the Lord. It's to give you a prayer language to communicate with the Lord. But that power is for you to be able to take the invitation, the gospel, to those who are lost. Amen. Verse number 7. Now notice here is a warning. Okay? Now he begins to warn the messengers. He's told them the feast is ready, the house is built, the sacrifices are made, the price has been paid, the table's been spread. You go out. I'm sending you out to, to, to tell others to come to the feast. And then in verse 7 he says, he gives a warning. Now notice, he who corrects a scoffer gets shame for himself, and he who rebukes a wicked man only harms himself. Do not correct a scoffer lest he hate you. Rebuke a wise man and he will love you. There's how you can tell whether somebody's wise or not. They can take correction if they are. Boy, it's getting going. It's been quiet. It's getting quieter. Rebuke a wise man and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man and he will be wise. He'll still be wiser. That means they'll be teachable. Teach a just man and he will increase 
in learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Now, the task he's saying here, notice what he said in those verses. He sent these ministers out to give the invitation to come to Wisdom's house, but he's telling them it's not going to necessarily be an easy task because when you go giving the Word of God, many times you will not have a good reception to that. That is what keeps people from witnessing. The fear of rejection. Is that right? Well, I don't want to tell them about Jesus. You know you should, and the Holy Spirit's dealing with you. Why don't you ask them if they're a Christian? Well, they might give me a cussing. Well, that is a possibility. Huh? They might tell you to mind your own business. They might just tell you to get out of their face. They might tell you they don't want nothing to do with your religion or your Bible. Right? I've had that happen. Anybody else? Well, that's what he's saying here in verse 7. He says, you correct a scoffer, you're, you're going to get some shame. Rebuke a wicked man, you're going to get some harm come to you. What's he talking about here? Not everyone is going to welcome or accept the invitation. Scorners are those who mock the Word of God. And they're going to be angry at the messenger, and they will even ridicule and, and abuse the messenger and many times not accept the message. There will be many that will not accept the message. But there, thank God, there will be some that the Holy Ghost will be able to touch. And they will accept the message. And they will. Have you ever invited somebody to church? And they just, you know, and they, they said, I don't want anything to do with that. Don't talk to me about that no more. And you thought, well, that was a lost cause. But then maybe a year later or, or months later, here they'd pop in. They'd show up. God. God used that seed that was sown to deal with their hearts. And it may not always be. It may not always be a good reception. There may not always be an acceptance of the message. John the Baptist preached that message to Herod and to, uh, to Herodias and uh, or to uh, well, it was Herodias' mother. But he preached that message that they were living in sin. And, and it wasn't accepted, was it? It cost him getting locked up in jail. It, 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 it eventually cost John the Baptist his head. It cost him his life. Why? Because that message wasn't accepted. He was correcting a scoffer and a scorner. He was rebuking the wicked and brought harm to himself. But guess what? Stephen, we preached about him not too long ago. Stephen stood up and preached to those when they stopped their ears up and picked up stones and stoned him. They rejected his message totally and completely. But I can tell you one thing. There was one, one old boy there that heard him that day that, 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 that was, you know, that was giving consent to the stoning of Stephen and later on he got, that guy got saved and became the man who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. Praise God. God, so they scoff you, so they ridicule us, so they despise us. Give the invitation anyway and let God take the Word of God and work in their hearts and in their lives. That's what he's saying here, amen? Those may reject the message and, and, and you know, they, they, they may do that, but, but just... Don't be discouraged. Keep on being faithful to the Lord. But then he said there in verse 8 and 9 that good people will not scorn the message. Good people, wise individuals, will be teachable. They will receive the message, and they will honor the messenger, and they will increase in their learning and in their wisdom. See, the Bible, the Bible makes us wiser. And that's how you can tell somebody that has that teachable spirit, they can take correction. And not everybody can. Believe me, in all the years of pastoring, I know that from experience. Amen. Hallelujah. Verse 11. Let's finish this out. 
For by your day, for by me your days will be multiplied and the years of your life will be added to you. If you are wise, you are wise for yourself. If you scoff, you will bear it alone. You, 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 you are responsible for your soul, for your life and for your soul. I'm responsible for me. Amen. I'm responsible for you to, to the degree that I must tell you what's right from the Word of God. But then the responsibility's on you to either accept it or reject it. Amen? A guy told one preacher one time, said, You know you're going to give an account for every message you preach. pastor looked at him and said, You're right. And you know what? You're going to give an account for every message I preach too. Hallelujah. Verse 13, he begins the contrast. Well, let's, let's just mention that. Each, I, okay, I already told you. Each one stands responsible for our own decisions. You know, there's teaching going around about generational curses, that if your great-great-great-grandpappy, you know, did something terrible back then, there's a curse put on your family, and it's passed down from generation to generation, generation, so that, so that, you know, and a lot of people use that as a cop-out. Well, I've just got a curse on me. It's a generational curse. I can't help it. You know, my, my great-granddad, he was, you know, he had this problem, so I'm just cursed with it too. That, you know, that teaching's not scriptural. Amen. Do you, you, listen, let me, let me, in Ezekiel 18, 20, it says, The soul who sins shall die. Listen to what God said. The son shall not bear the guilt of the father. Bingo. Nor the father bear the guilt of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon himself, upon himself, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon himself. So you and I are each responsible for our own walk with God in our life. Paul said in Galatians 6, in the 6th chapter, he said that every one, every man shall bear his own burden. That means you're responsible for your life. Verse 13 through 18. We're going to be done, all right? We're going to be done. Verse 13. A foolish woman is clamorous. She is simple and knows nothing. Now he gets into the contrast. Now notice, he's been talking about wisdom, wisdom's house, wisdom's invitation, those that he had sent out to invite to come and partake of the good feast and the blessings of that house. Then he's going to give this contrast. For she, the foolish woman, again, we've talked about the immoral woman, the strange woman. In past chapters, here the foolish woman, again, representing that which is outside of Christ, which is outside of the Word of God and the will of God, and uh, represents temptation as well. For she sits at the door of her house. Oh, she has a house too. Here's another house. Huh? Here's another house. She sits at the door of her house on the seat by the highest places of the city to call to those who pass by. Guess what? I think we read down there where that's where the maidens that were sent out from Wisdom's house in verse 3 cry out from the highest places of the city. So here this foolish woman in her house is calling out to those who pass by from the same place. The high place of the city. So everybody that's passing by is getting two voices. To call those, verse 15, to call those who pass by, who go straight on their way. Here's what she says, whoever is simple, let him turn in here. And as for him who lacks understanding, she says to him, listen, verse 17, stolen waters are sweet, and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he does not know that the dead are there. Oh, there's a difference in these two houses. The dead are there, and her guests are in the depths of hell. See, the foolish woman sitting at her house represents those in contrast to wisdom's house and those wisdom sends out 
She represents those who peddle false doctrine and lies and wrong teaching. And this house, her house, is built on sand. It's without a foundation. And notice we read that it said that she calls to the simple. And she calls to the, those who lack understanding. She calls to the gullible and to the naive and to those who do not know the Word of God. How many times have we stressed that in these teachings from Proverbs? How many times has Solomon stressed that? To know this book, to know the Word of God and the law of God. She calls to those who lack understanding. And she says to them, come into my house. Wisdom's over here and, and, and her evangelists. Come and enjoy the blessings of wisdom's house. But here's the false teacher saying, no, come over here. Listen, listen, come over here because stolen waters are sweet. Now, what she said, stolen waters are sweet. Let me tell you something about, about Satan. Let me tell you something about Satan. He is the thief that, that has come to kill, steal, and destroy. Is that right? He's the thief. And, and Satan offers nothing to anybody that is actually his. He's a thief and a liar and a counterfeiter, and everything that he offers is something that he has stolen and corrupted and perverted and made it ungodly. His wisdom even is corrupted, as Ezekiel said, that the wisdom of Lucifer was corrupted in his fall. He still maintained the wisdom that he had, but it was corrupted and it became evil itself. And so these, these here, Satan is, is talking about stolen waters, that which he is counterfeiting, that which he has taken and perverted. And there are those today, ladies and gentlemen, that are preaching a, a this is why we must know the truth of the word, because they're preaching another Jesus. They're preaching a, a, another, another Jesus with another spirit, and it's another gospel. It's a different gospel. And Paul even warned the Corinthian church. He said that be aware because he he said, there are those apostles that are of Satan that have transformed themselves into the apostles of Christ. And he said, don't, don't, don't think that's such a, a, a great thing because he said Satan himself is even transformed into an angel of light. He takes what is good and steals it and counterfeits it and perverts it. There's a false gospel today. There's a counterfeit gospel today. And what it is is a perversion of the true gospel. Satan takes so much scripture and he will twist it and he'll turn it and he'll add to it and he'll take away from it to make it sound plausible. But ladies and gentlemen, it's stolen waters and he'll say, oh, it's sweet. Come in and dine at my table and I'll give. make sure you have all the blessings that you can have. Hallelujah. He perverts that gospel and robs from his guests and deceives people with the fleeting temporary pleasures of sin. He disguises his house with the allurements of sinful delights and the scripture says that the dead, verse 18 said that the dead are there. Her guests are in the depths of hell because listen you can't slice it any other way. Sin and false doctrine is the harlot's house. It's a morgue it ends in death both spiritual and eternal so we need to make sure we're on the right track in the right house on the right rock on the right foundation traveling the right way come on hallelujah this is the best way to live to live for Jesus and be a part of the family of God and be in wisdom's house to be in wisdom's house when you hear that false gospel today that says, well, it's all, you know, it's just, it, it, it don't matter what you do, you know. I mean, grace covers it all. Whew. What time is it? i got to quit. Amen. Hyper-grace teaching. among other things today that are leading people astray. Well, it sounds good. Well they, well, they talk about Jesus. 
but it's another Jesus. Let me tell you something. Any Jesus that they preach that is separated from the cross of Jesus, and there are churches today that they have sent out their, their questionnaires to ask people. That's what began the modern-day church growth movement, actually, well, the biggest part of it began with, I can't, uh, the guy's name slips my mind from Chicago, but sent out questionnaires to the people. You know, he was getting the invitation out, but here's what he did. He had questionnaires. You tell us what you want in a church and what you don't want in a church, and then we'll, we'll conform our church to satisfy and meet your needs. And a lot of the things that came back was, we don't want to hear anything about sin. We don't want to hear anything about the cross. We don't want to see no crosses hanging in the church. We don't want the sanctuary to look like a church. We want it to look like a, a nightclub or a concert hall. And they... Hybels, Bill Hybels, that's who it was. And so they began to, they, they structured their church that way. Don't sing about the blood. We don't want to hear songs about the cross. That's when you take away the cross, you take away the blood, you take away the sacrifice, you take away the finished work of Christ. When you take all that away, you have a Jesus, but it's not the Jesus of the Bible. It's another Jesus, another spirit, and another gospel. And Paul told that Galatian church, he said, if anybody comes to you preaching any other gospel than what I've preached, let him be accursed. Even if it's an angel from heaven, let him be accursed. Is that what he said? Praise God. Wisdom has built her house, hewn out her seven pillars, built a strong house, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, sent the invitation. And I'm looking at people here in this place tonight that have answered the invitation, and you're feasting on the blessings of the Lord. So listen, listen. Let the Holy Spirit now send you out to take the invitation to others into the highways, to the hedges, to our workplace, to the schools, to everywhere to invite them to come and dine and feed at the table with Jesus. Amen. Father, we love you tonight. We thank you tonight for your goodness and grace and love and mercy. Thank you for your presence here in this service tonight. And for the precious word of God, I just pray tonight that, Lord, you will make each one of us the, the, the witnesses and the evangelists and the missionaries that you've called us to be, that we will give that invitation, that our light will shine everywhere we go. Lord, that your house will be filled.